Today on the show, we're exploring what ifs, we're checking in on old friends, and we're settling what the best Dune tattoo would be. And spoiler alert, folks, yeah. it's not Fear is the Mind Killer. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's not. Sorry that that's the most common tattoo, all right? No, we're not sorry. Oh, wait. Yeah, we're sorry. Uh, we're uh, a li- uh. Um, <laughs> Cut to theme music. <laughs> Cut. Quickly, quickly. <laughs> The banter is expiring. (laughs) Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name is Sabu. And today on the show, we are taking your your messages. We're taking your questions. Yes. And we're serving up answers. Indeed we are. And hopefully they're delicious folks. We're no chefs, but we know our dune. (laughs) I've been using a lot of spice. Oh. All righty. Well, before we get into today's mailbag episode, today's God Emperor of Dune mailbag episode, as usual, let's take care of some housekeeping. And to start off, a spoiler warning, just like every other book club episode in this series, today's episode will contain no spoilers beyond the pages and books we've covered thus far. Of course, as always, a huge shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons. Case Aiken, Matthew Good, mm. my God, gentlemen. Uh, we're going to talk later about the best Dune tattoos. Right. It's your names. It's oh, your yeah. names. Guaranteed. Specifically your Patreon usernames. because <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Not your government name. No, no, no. That's, that's only important at airports and... You right. know, police lineups. <laughs> right. Can you imagine that Patreon tier, though? You give us so much money that we get your name tattooed on ourselves. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like What's that bar is pretty low, actually. Yeah, like 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. A little, little higher. A little 250. higher. Little, 250. Okay. <laughs> $225. <laughs> I want to afford half of an air conditioner with the cost of that lifelong choice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Love it. Case Aiken, Matthew Good, gentlemen, thank you so much. Yeah. That thank you, of course, extends to all of our patrons and all Indeed. of our listeners who tune in every single week <laughs> and make this show possible. That doesn't even pay for a tattoo in New York. <laughs> Tattoos in New York are like minimum four hundred dollars. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, That's crazy. Think about it, patrons. Well, <laughs> think about it. <laughs> and also, a quick bonus shout out today: longtime listener and supporter of the show, Robert Pierce. Yeah. Recently emailed us and told us that his second daughter was born. So we just wanted oh to say congratulations. God. Yeah, Spice Daddy. He's Spice Papa. He's officially a Spice Daddy, a Spice Papa with well, a second daughter. Second, second daughter. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You trained that little Benny Jesuit well, Robert <laughs> Pierce. You do it, Robert. We're counting on you. <laughs> well, congratulations, Robert. We just wanted to sneak that in today because that's such exciting news. And thank you for sharing it with us. Very exciting. Well... The game plan for today's episode is very straightforward. We are going to answer your questions. <laughs> That's it. Mailbag. You sent us messages. Mailbag. <laughs> and of course, as always, if you don't hear yours today, it's okay. 
we've got other mailbag episodes coming up later for the general public. That's right. Okay, before we crack open these messages, Leo, let's take a quick breather, but don't go anywhere, dear listener, because we'll be right back. We'll see you in a minute. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Let's talk about these messages we got. Yeah. And our first message today is from Discord and from Laszlo. Laszlo wrote, quote, I don't know if this has been addressed, but Jessica would have had so much time to have a son and a bunch of daughters, too, by the time Paul is 14 years old, which means she didn't have to choose between giving Leto a son and following her orders from the sisterhood, right? Is there a good explanation for her decision? End quote. And what a good question, Laszlo. It's yeah. something that I didn't even necessarily think about because I kind of just assume Frank has thought all this stuff through. But although we don't get a rock-solid canon answer, right? Mm-hmm. Frank didn't say on page 37, and this is why... <laughs> This is, I don't know why he's the God Emperor voice. No, I do know why. (laughs) And this is why she couldn't do that. Right. We don't have that, but as usual, we can connect some dots. We can make some educated guesses, as we love to do, about this topic. That's right. So the first point we want to make here is that Jessica had her orders from the Bene Gesserit to produce a female heir to the Atreides throne. Right. And the key word there is female heir to the Atreides throne heir, someone who would ascend after Duke Leto. And of course, as we know, the plan was that this female heir would then be mated with the Harkonnen heir and thus be used to bring the two houses together, bring the two rival houses together, and also, perhaps more importantly, create the Kwisatz Haderach. Now, Paul, as the male heir to the Atreides throne, throws a wrinkle in that plan. Because it puts any subsequent daughters that Jessica may have had at a political disadvantage. And so that alliance is less powerful or even completely unlikely to happen if it's Paul first, followed by, you know, three or four younger sisters. No Harkonnen is going to want to marry the loser's second child. (laughs) Yeah. And I know that's true because I am an eldest child. And I know that. Second, children are losers. Shouts, wow. shouts to my sister. <laughs> yeah, I have an older sister. So, okay, I'll just let that pass and we'll not address it until we're off mic. We also know that, like, Dune, the universe of Dune is very feudalistic. It's very patriarchal. Right. So there is this sense of, like, even if the third child was the firstborn male, it's possible certain houses would just say, okay, well, he's the first son. So he's the heir. He's the heir, correct. So even if there were older sisters, it may not even give them a chance to be the head of that house. Totally, totally. So that's sort of the political sphere, right? But I can already hear the emails hitting our inbox telling us that the (laughs) Bene Gesserit don't care about a Harkonnen-Atreides alliance 
right? Like Turn politics. Turn off the audible alert so that <laughs> right. you don't hear the emails. <laughs> ding, Easy. ding, Thumbs ding, up. ding. <laughs> the Bene Gesserit, as we know, politics is part of their fabric. It's what they do. They rule from the shadows. But more importantly, and more core to their mission is the Quisaz Haderach. And mm. I don't necessarily disagree. They would be more focused on making sure that a female Atreides could be married to a male Harkonnen to create the Kwisatz Haderach. Right. But I think Paul once again throws a monkey wrench into even the Kwisatz Haderach plan, taking politics completely out of it. Because now a powerful male heir has suddenly shown up. Right. And literally the book opens with Moheim showing up and testing this guy because fuck, this might be the Kwisatz Haderach come early, which later in the book is confirmed. He's exactly that. Right. And so I think Jessica clearly recognizes this potential in her son early on. It's why she trains him in some secret Bene Gesserit techniques. It's why she nurtures some of his abilities. Right. And if Jessica were to then go on and have daughters after Paul, she would be putting Paul in the dangerous position of competing with future potential Kwisatz Haderachs, right? If right, she gave right. the Bene Gesserit a daughter, they followed the plan, came up with the Kwisatz Haderach. Now there's multiple Kwisatz Haderachs in the universe, and that puts Paul in a dangerous position. Maybe the Bene Gesserit decide Paul is dangerous and kill him off. Yeah. Also, like, if it were as simple as, oh, you fucked up, have a daughter now, the Bene Gesserit would have been like, have a daughter now. They would just tell her to have a daughter. It's clearly not so simple. And when she made that choice, you know, we get in God Emperor of Dune, Benny Gesserit still know Jessica's name because she did that thing so long ago. Right. right? Like she kind of becomes this figure of disobedience within the Benny Gesserit. Totally. Because it so fucked up the plan to have Paul first. And regardless of what we're told, yes or no, we know Moheim could have come to her, you know, a year after his birth and gone, that's not, hey, all right, don't do that again. Yeah. Have a daughter now, and then we're all peachy keen. Right. So clearly that isn't an option from the Benny Jesuit perspective. And then I think Jessica, to your point, also knows, yes, this fucks up the plan royally. So rather than trying to like half measure, have some daughters, I'm going to lean hard into making sure Paul is as prepared as possible. Yeah. So that yep. at that moment of the Gam Jabar test, at that moment of arriving on planet Arrakis or whatever is coming up, he is as prepared to become the Kwisatz Haderach as possible. Totally. And then when she says, some believe he's already arrived, that's her as well. Fingers crossed behind her back. Please fucking, please yeah. let it be my son. Yeah, God. exactly. Exactly. I, I think like in short to sort of answer this question from Laszlo, I think Jessica played a very smart political and personal game of poker here. She basically went all in on her son, both because she loves Leto, right? It's something that Duke Leto wanted. Right. And she loved him dearly, and thus she gave him a son. But also because once that son was born, she went all in because she just needed to protect and prepare him against any Bene Gesserit machinations or against any political threats out there in the Empire. And I think having daughters would weaken Paul or put him in dangerous positions that Jessica wasn't willing to. And so she just decided, hey, this is it. I'm going all in on this guy, at least yeah. until he's old enough to take the throne, right? Like, of course, she has Alia later, 
But right. by then, Paul is already very much being groomed for the Atreides throne. He's already 15, almost 16 years old. Right. All right. Question number two is an email from Aaron Denzeo. Aaron writes, what could we infer happened to Stilgar? At the end of Children of Dune, Stilgar seems disenchanted. Do we expect him to serve Leto to crush rebellions in the name of the Golden Path? Okay, Aaron, great question. Something that I'm sure many of our listeners are wondering is what happens to Stilgar after Children of Dune? In those 3,000 years in between the books, where's our guy? Where's our favorite Navy boy? Now, Frank hasn't answered this question thus far in the books and the readings we've done up until this point. Right, right, right. So our answer today mainly comes from the Dune Encyclopedia and from our own conjecture and theories and connecting some dots. Right. Now, we do know, for starters, we know that Aaron is correct, that Stilgar was existential crisis, full tilt, all cylinders firing, questioning his whole life. Yeah, yeah, Again, aren't the Fremen, the young Fremen, beautiful this season? And he's like, oh, God, (laughs) like vomiting a little. So... On one hand, he was so loyal. He's loyal to Muad'Dib and to Muad'Dib's children, and he would do anything to protect them. Like, that's just something that is true. Yes. But on the other hand, he's watching his precious Fremen and their culture die. Like, he's watching the degeneration of the Fremen people Yep. as a result of Atreides' rule. Like, as a result of one of his best friends, one of the closest people to him, Paul, because of Paul's empire, he's watching Fremen becoming weak and soft and, and jealous and covetous. And then, like, the weird fucking mimic nose plugs yeah, yeah. fashion stuff that happens in Children of Dune. And yeah. he's like, oh, God, it's becoming Disneyland. Imagine, like, imagine Venice is gone and it's just a Parisian person or like a, a Venetian person living at the Venice, uh, the Venetian. <laughs> fucking casino in las vegas yeah yeah, yeah. that's stillgar in our king or, or at like, or at epcot you know like in the, <laughs> yeah. that like around the world thing at epcot <laughs> just like sipping a an italian margarita yeah. that's like 14 dollars and shitty and he's right. like this is not how i remember it out of a goddamn mickey <laughs> mickey mug or whatever you know <laughs> nothing more dignified than the mickey mouse mugs in our <laughs> nothing more italian <laughs> Or like sandworm, like novelty mugs. Novelty mugs, holy shit! <laughs> They're like, do you want your shy, hal- yeah, uh, shy halus bar? <laughs> <laughs> Damn, there's a franchise opportunity here that we're we're not capitalizing on. Accidentally serving up to legendary for their inevitable <laughs> Dune theme park. Yeah, I, I mean, in a, in addition to watching like sort of the degeneration of his culture, I think. It's also tough for him to square this, not just with his loyalty with Paul as a friend and a fellow Siege member, but as Muad'Dib, the Messiah, right? There's a whole religious <laughs> yeah. aspect to this where he's sure. just like, how much can I go against the word of God, I guess? Yeah. Like, but yeah, like yeah, the yeah. word of God is like really not vibing with me or, and I'm watching it like destroy my people. So I, I think there's a lot of inner conflict with Stilgar all throughout Children of Dune. Right. And the Dune Encyclopedia tells us that by the end of the book, where Leto takes the throne, Stilgar, quote, mourned Muad'Dib's son even as he honored him. 
what horrors could the child have seen in his oracular visions that made such a terrible transformation seem his duty? He mourned for his people as well, though he would not live to see it. Stilgar had heard Leto's description of the changes in store for Arrakis, and he wanted no part. End quote. Yeah. I mean, Stilgar is through and through a Fremen, and the Fremen yes. culture understands the challenges of adversity, the like, the ruggedness of the desert is what fortifies their spirits and their soul, and it's all of the things. So for Leto to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to force everyone into thousands of years of stagnation, and mm -hmm. everyone's going to be so comfortable and happy in their little villages, no right. one's going to have, it's like, oh my god, I know more than like an off-worlder would ever know how dangerous that is for the Fremen people who are who they are because of adversity and because of right. Amtal, right. really. Also, those worms you think are God, they're going to get wiped out, sorry. <laughs> they're going to be know, gone. Like, that's an aspect yeah. of it, too. It's like, I'm going to also wipe out your God. Yeah. I'm going to become your only God. Yeah. And I, I think your point about Stilgar being a Fremen through and through is spot on, because the final words of that quote really stick with me. And he wanted no part. Right. And that, I think, is what answers Aaron's question here. What happened to Stilgar after? What happened in the thousands of years following Leto's ascendancy? It seems to me pretty clear that Stilgar doesn't play a huge role in Leto's golden path. We're told in the encyclopedia, in fact, that he basically retires to Siege to Burr and on his return, literally no one in the Siege wants to challenge him for leadership. So he is just sort of the unchallenged incumbent for the rest of his life. He continues in the Nabe position. He continues leading Siege to Burr until his death in 10,228 AG at the age of 87. Yeah. Now, after his death, there's an interesting point in the encyclopedia that Leto forbade the members of Siege to Burr from electing a new leader by combat, which would have been Fremen tradition to do so. And instead, he just appointed somebody. And the sort of sad irony of this, and the Dune Encyclopedia makes this observation as well, is that, quote, that the Fremen acquiesced would have proven to the old Nabe that his worst fears were justified, end quote. Yeah. I'll, I'll also point out that even the fact that he was not challenged as he became older and older and very likely less and less capable of winning in one-on-one -on -one combat. Right was probably a daily reminder that his fears were justified. Yep. Like it was probably on some level torturous where he's like, please someone, some strong, smart person challenge me to a fight. So I know that my people will be taken care of. And instead he died of old age in a position that has for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years been pos like passed on via this sort of challenging and fighting and killing. Absolutely. Because that's the Fremen way, and it's no longer the Fremen way. Totally. Even dying of old age. How many Fremen do you imagine die of old <laughs> age in the desert? Yeah. Even that yeah. must have been torturous for Stilgar. Also, this is the culture that when old men are blind, it's like, cool, walk into the desert, old man. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. You're blind. You're blind now. That means it's time to get eaten by a worm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, cool. Totally. It, it, it's, a, it's a sad thought to imagine that Stilgar continued to watch his culture fade away. I guess the silver lining there then 
is we can assume that if he spent the rest of his years in Siege to Burr as just sort of the local nabe, it's pretty clear that Stilgar wasn't out in the Empire crushing rebellions and spreading Leto's Golden Path. He clearly did that for Paul Muad'Dib, right? He right. fought in Paul's Jihad. I don't think he did that for Leto. It seems to me that by the time Leto rose to the throne, Stilgar was just tired, man. Like, he's been right, through so right. much. And yeah. Leto probably loved and respected his old Uncle Stilgar enough to just sort of let him retire into the quiet life and spend his twilight years in Sichtabur back in his home. Well, you have to think, too, that, like, so two things. Because Stilgar also had become this, like, paper-pusher bureaucrat under Muad'Dib. Yeah. And so after the conquering was done, to just be doing fucking paperwork is, like, so unbefitting a, a totally. Fremen name. So, yeah, like, let's get rid of those responsibilities. You can go back to the Siege, and you can live a Fremen life, whatever that means today. And also, Leto is, for all of his potential flaws, not a malicious person. And we know right. that he loved and cherished people like Stilgar in those right. early years. And so I imagine, as, again, an optimist, I imagine that Leto very likely used whatever powers he was using at the time to say what is going to be the best experience for Stilgar. Would he be happier, ultimately, out there on the battlefield? I don't think so. So I'm going to give him what I see in all of my prescience and all of my, like, Kwisatz Haderach awareness. He'll have the best thing he could have, which might not be great, but it's still the best thing that I can afford him while keeping the golden path intact. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. So there you go, Aaron. Hopefully that answers your question about what Stilgar was up to. Again, not written in stone in the right. reading thus far, but between the lines, we can infer that it seems like Stilgar retired to Siege to Burr and Leto allowed it, and this is maybe the best way Leto could have allowed Stilgar to spend his twilight years. No more paper-pushing bureaucracy for our guy. Thank God. No more staplers. <laughs> well, up next, we have an email from Dave Treese. So Dave wrote to us, quote, We have learned that Fade Routha fucks. Oh, yeah. As does Lady Fenring. Mm -hmm. Fenring. And the deed was done between them to preserve the genetic material that was supposed to cross with the daughter Lady Jessica never had. So, Margot Fenring had Fade Routha's daughter. What happened to her? <laughs> End quote. Great question. Also one that comes up pretty often. And in fact, we got almost the same question from Avian in our Discord right. very recently. That's right. And to begin... You know, we've made this caveat a bunch of times, and well, we have to make it again now, because this in particular was written about by Brian and Kevin. So if you right. uh, have, if you're interested, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson have written a lot about Bade and Lady Fenring's daughter, Marie, in their prequel novels, uh, or in I think it's like Paul of Dune is the book, I which is so, like yeah. kind of a prequel, kind of a sequel, yeah. fills in the gaps between the books, because Naturally, that's what we all asked for, Brian, <laughs> not other good stories. Fucking walk on your go father's off, legacy. Go off. Anyway, no, I don't want to right now. I don't want my blood pressure to spike. It's already too hot. <laughs> so if you're interested in the character Marie, Paul of Dune is the book to check out. But we are going to look at like the Frank books and the Dune Encyclopedia, as we always do. 
in this case, there actually is not a lot to talk about. Yeah. So Margot Fenring, for instance, never makes an appearance again in Frank's stories. And the Dune Encyclopedia only has this to say about the daughter that she would have conceived with Fade. Right. Quote, as a major portion of their pursuit of the Kwisatz Haderach, the child would have been a critical element in their continued breeding program. However, there is no record anywhere of such an extraordinary female breeder, and the sisterhood's long string of failures following the rise of House Atreides points to the absence of such a being in their continuing programs. End quote. So we see the historians who are writing the Dune Encyclopedia going, we don't have data about this. Right. Shrug. Yeah, shrug. And we know that members of the, the Bene Gesserit breeding program don't always turn out as planned, right? We know that even Count Fenring himself had potential and then just turned out not to be the genetic piece they needed. So we know they misstep. It's possible. I'm not surprised, by the way, that the daughter doesn't show up in official records. Mm -hmm. I can almost guarantee, based on what else we know, that Margot Fenring would have gone back to Wallach 9. She would have gone back to like the Bene Gesserit homeworld, mm -hmm. would have had the child at the school, totally. and then they would have like done their best to raise the child. But it's possible the child just didn't have the traits they needed, and they were kind of like, well, fuck. All right. right we're, uh, damn. Totally. Totally. I mean, it also seems to me that, based off of this quote, the Bene Gesserit were probably in very much like panic mode after Paul right, rose to the right. throne. And especially after he's like, ah, <laughs> Moheim, I am your Gamjabar. Get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I suspect the Bene Gesserit were in disarray and had to call a number of audibles last second after Paul rose. In particularly audibles about the Kwisatz Haderach program. Fuck, what are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Like, Lady Fenring would have gone back to Wallach 9, had the daughter, and perhaps because of all of these changing plans, now that Paul is the emperor, perhaps Fade's daughter becomes less important as these plans are changing and is ultimately forgotten or ignored. Maybe the child becomes less critical, as you're saying. Maybe the child doesn't fit into the plans properly, as you're saying. Or I, I like to imagine like maybe there's a darker version of the story where the child is deemed too dangerous to let live and was perhaps killed as part of Paul's jihad, like killed by Paul's administration. And the Fidekin were like, we can't have any challengers to our Messiah. Yeah. Take this child out. Yeah. So there, there's a number of possibilities, but the encyclopedia, honestly, beyond that quote, doesn't give much time to this potential child. So it's we're throwing out some theories here that make sense to us, but ultimately... What we do know is that the Dune Encyclopedia historians simply cannot find any records of Lady Fenring's child slash Fate's child. And again, there are lots of characters who kind of faded into the history books, which I appreciate. I think right. it's a little exhausting when you have a like fantasy or a sci-fi franchise and every fucking character you meet ends up going on to do some crazy stuff. Right. It's kind of nice to be like, and we didn't hear about them again. It's like, oh, cool. There are those people who have a moment next to the crazy shit that's happening, and then they are away from it, and they're like, I'm not, I'm not going near that shit again. I'm going to be over here where it's quiet. This yeah. is nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, case in point, tell me what Taylor Lautner's been up to for the last 20 years. <laughs> tell Didn't me. He anyone tell me. He married someone named Taylor. He, he did, yeah. 
The only reason I, I bring that. this up is because he was at the Taylor Swift concert last week. And, oh, was he? Yeah. Why and, do you know that? <laughs> well, my, my sister's a Swifty, and I'm getting all the updates these days. Uh-huh. But uh, the only reason I know that dude still fucking exists is because of Taylor Swift, not because he himself has done anything notable ever since Twilight. That feels, that feels appropriate. That feels appropriate. This dude cashed in on Twilight, and now is like chilling. He had a couple of movies after that, and they were not good. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they were, yeah. They were not great. I don't know if it was him or the writing or the directing right. or all three. Taylor right. Swift could be a Benny Jesuit of secret rank. She most definitely is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, sure. For as much. She's also like very much affected the music industry. Doesn't matter. Doesn't That's matter. off topic. Po- yes. Po- point made. People can fade into obscurity and it's totally fine. It happens all the time. <laughs> like the daughter of fade fading oh. into Okay. All right. Now, now we're reaching. Now we're reaching. Next question. (laughs) Oregano. (laughs) Next up, we have an email from James Saylor. And James writes, it sounds like Leto's tyranny is slowly eradicating all the shittier people in the universe, (laughs) which would look tyrannical either way. And it is fucked up. And with Duncan, does he actually want to kill Duncan or is it purely instinct of the worm portion of his body? Okay, we lo- we love a little double whammy question snuck in there. Yeah. Um, but these are fun questions, and some of the ideas we are literally grappling with as we work our way through this book and through this book club series as well. Right. So to start off, Leto's piece is definitely worth being critical of. Like we know oh, yeah. that the ends of the piece are good. It's like survival of humanity or whatever. <laughs> or whatever. But there is <laughs> yeah that little that little thing. But there are moments where we're going, is that really the best way? Is that like the exact right way to do things? And then getting chapters inside of Leto's head, we also see sometimes how uncertain he is. How he's like, oh, gosh, do I do this? Do I do that? I don't know. You know, so I think you're in the right. You're 100 percent in the right. Questioning like like Leto's path the way you are. I'm also glad you called out. It is fucked up. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> eugenics and like selective breeding and selective euthanasia <laughs> it's like it's genocide and yeah. it is fucked up yeah i'm glad we're all on the same page <laughs> yeah and yes to be clear again the golden path it's really hard to ignore the golden path as we discuss this stuff because the golden path is the survival of humanity and nothing less so if leto's killing people it is likely because they are jeopardizing the golden path right we don't necessarily get the impression that he kills for fun. Uh, so, you know, they probably should be dead. If he's killing them, it's like, oh, maybe he's making a good call there. Yeah. But the question is, is that worth saving humanity? Is it worth saving humanity if you have to commit those atrocities? Right. It's, it's now, the Leto, ultimate, do the ends justify the means question? It's the trolley problem. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's it's really like, you have to make the choice because we're talking about let's let's even just say trillions of people. Right. Let's say Leto has killed trillions of people <laughs> in pursuit of the golden path, yeah. which is not un- in- unlikely because Paul killed billions of people and that was thousands of years ago. And if you even then also consider the fact that Leto shortened everyone's lifespans right. by like 100 years. He's really pumping those numbers up. He's, he's getting through the generations quickly. <laughs> so Leto's, let's just say trillions of people. Are trillions of people worth the almost infinite number of people of ongoing humanity? Right. And it's sort of that ethical trolley problem. 
and do you pull the switch and is it worth pulling the switch or do you do you just let nature run its course and we're just another species that will go extinct and that's kind of a per person question right like yeah. even the trolley question will have people divided at times especially when you get to the point where you're like do you push the man in front of the train to stop the train like you make it more visceral and more yeah uh, it's not just yeah. flipping the switch it's like doing the thing right do, do your do you push your podcast host in front of the train to save all of what i what <laughs> Are, okay i'm gonna be very mindful of this next time we're walking by some train tracks <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh, no, I'll meet you there. I'm going to go a different route that doesn't keep me near the train track. <laughs> no, Leo, let's walk along this train track. He always wants to go for long walks it, along train be tracks. Fun. <laughs> it's my favorite type of hiking. <laughs> yeah, no, you make excellent points here, and you're spot on. It, it's such a personal question that I think all of us have to consider, yeah. and I think most people will end up on some sort of spectrum of like what is okay and what isn't. Yeah. In Agreed. this ultimate question of ends justifying the means, I do have a bit of a quibble with James here, and it might just be the wording of the email that's a bit unclear, but I do want to be very clear that Leto's golden path isn't only wiping out the quote unquote shitty people. Yeah. There are also innocent bystanders that are getting wiped out. Like Leto also has innocent blood on his hands. You can't kill trillions of people and only snipe <laughs> out the bad ones. Yeah, also what is good and bad? What is good like, and bad? What right. is a shitty person? Well, there are there and again, if there are shitty people necessary for the golden path, guaranteed, guaranteed they got to stay. Exactly. They have to stay. Exactly. It's not a matter of good versus evil, it's a matter of make the golden path happen no matter what. Yeah. I feel like Leto wrote that email. Leto's like, <laughs> he's eradicating only the shitty people, right? <laughs> James like, Saylor, we're on to you, Leto Atreides. Sounds like a pen name, too. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I do want, and it may just be the wording of the email. I'm not quite yeah, clear yeah. on what James meant by that line, but I want to be very clear. Shitty people aren't the only victims of Leto's right. golden path. Everyone who doesn't fit into the path is a victim of the golden path. Yeah. Also because, like, you know, I asked the question, what is good and bad? And if we are lacking absolute morality, like if we're lacking an absolute universal good and bad, Leto will know better than anybody in history that everyone has reasons for doing everything. Like, Leto is going to be the ultimate empathizer, yes. where you say, I just murdered a man. And Leto's like, yeah, I've done that millions of times and i know every shade of the reason why you would do that and i also know that you didn't do it maliciously and you're not an evil person right you didn't do it just as an act of villainy you did it because you had your very real justifications you were protecting your wife you were you know whatever you were defending yourself all of those reasons all of those justifications he has as direct personal experience mm -hmm. so he more than anybody is probably in a place where he cannot call someone a bad person right or cannot right. really justifiably he he didn't kill those historians and say, well, they were bad people, Monet. Exactly. He said they lied pretentiously, which is the threat to the golden, to the path. golden path. Right. Right. Exactly. So in, he he can look general, at a murderer like, yeah. and be like, I understand where you're coming from. Totally. Yeah. But at the same time, he can also be like, You're gonna trip on a rock next week and that's gonna throw <laughs> the golden path off. So pop, pop, meet my Glock. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Famously, among one of his folds, actually, no, in the in the Ixian cart, he's like goes to get the Muad'Dib Chris knife, and then and right he next accidentally to it. opens wrong. It's the clock. He's like, 
and this is Muad'Dib's Glock. <laughs> Loaded and ready, baby. Bring in the Tlaylax ambassador. <laughs> he holds it sideways too, because right. he he knows after millions of years that that's the that's coolest the coolest way. way. <laughs> At seeing Oak one day, he accidentally grabs the Glock by accident. He's like, "Oh fuck, wrong thing." Uh, ignore that, and they're all like, "Ignore that." <laughs> It, oh, man. And it was ignored, and it was ignored. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about the second part of James slash secret Leto Atreides' question. Sure. <laughs> James is asking why Leto is killing Duncans, right? Does he want to kill the Duncans, or is it just some sort of worm instinct that makes him kill the Duncan out of some sort of animalistic urge to do so? Right, right. What is the reason here? And to be clear, by the time we are reading God Emperor of Dune, Leto has gone through many Duncans. Yeah. And go back and listen to our The Many Lives of Duncan Idaho episode. The Dune Encyclopedia lists many of the Duncans throughout the thousands of years of Leto's rule. Right. Most of them do not die old and happy and content, <laughs> surrounded by family in their deathbeds. Weirdly, Most of them. And this seems completely coincidental. A lot of them are crushed by a giant shape, giant thing. I don't know. Weird. Exactly. Exactly. What are the chances? Seems unlikely. But. So, so James is understandably <laughs> questioning why the fuck does he constantly kill these Duncan Idahos, right? A majority of these Duncan Idahos have literally been killed by Leto's hands. So yeah. it, it is worth questioning why. You know, what's going on here that Leto has to do this over and over? Yeah. And, you know, this is a little bit of a messy question to answer because, like, he obviously gets a lot out of having Duncan. Oh, yeah. Around. It is a choice that he's making. But also, it's it's one that, like, it's also not fair to say that everything's going great with Duncan and he just kills him randomly. <laughs> he's not just like, I'm bored of this one and then crushes it. And it's like, send me another. You know, a lot of the time, it's Duncan attacking him at the point of, like, rebellion. It's Duncan going, oh, I can't fucking put up with this at all. And pulling the trigger on a laser gun or throwing a bomb or failing to throw a bomb. Right. Throw, shout out to Clumsy <laughs> So it's it's also possible that in all of this, if Duncan, for whatever reason that Leto chose to have him there, is at the point of attacking Leto, trying to kill him, then he's at the point of no return and he just has to kill him and reset the clock and go, okay, well, time for a new one. Right. Time to relive the glory years again. Yeah. I think ultimately, like with all things Golden Path related, Leto is doing this out of some sort of necessity and not out of a choice. He doesn't want to ever kill the Duncans. Moneo even observes that he gets quite emotional and sad. Very true. After yeah. a Duncan's death. But eventually, his hand or his flipper is forced, and he <laughs> has to kill the Duncan, or else the Duncan will cause some sort of irreparable harm to the golden path by either literally right. killing him, the God emperor or causing some other Duncan fucking mayhem that would throw humanity off the golden path. So yeah, I, like I don't the think it's a plot we heard about. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So I, I don't think it's a uh, worm instinct to be clear to like address James's question directly here. I don't think it's some worm instinct where he's like, oh God, I'm getting the urge to kill this Duncan now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is something he has to do. 
and does begrudgingly against his will, much like most of the rest of his life, right? He has to become the worm. He has to rule the empire for 3,000 years. He has to start a religion in his name. He hates all of those fucking things. Right. But he knows he has to do them. And I've, I feel like Duncan plays a role in that cycle as well. Yeah. Again, I you know, as much as I kind of thought of it in the moment, I do think maybe there's something about, like, Duncan is the only one audacious enough to try to kill the God Emperor outright. And then he's also one of the only people given access to the God Emperor's personhood. Right. So, like, Leto is also probably playing a little bit of his own Amtal game, saying, oh, this forges me yeah. and strengthens me. This, you know, having this person who is so bold and so temperamental and then not answering his questions because I'm fucking frustrating to talk to. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe that's another piece of it that totally, we're not getting totally. as much of. Duncan, this is where I keep my Glock. <laughs> the passcode is one, two, three, four. Duncan's like the terrible password. <laughs> I'm not even that smart, but I know that's a terrible password. Duncan, I'm going to turn this way for a little bit. And I'm going to lower my defenses. Definitely don't go for the Glock, Duncan. I wouldn't expect it. Last thing in the world I'd expect, Duncan. You got the Glock, Duncan. Oh, no. Oh, no. Too <laughs> bad Duncan I'm invulnerable to Glocks. I'm invulnerable to Glocks. And he crushes it. <laughs> Moneo, please clean up this body and also hide my Glock. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> well. On that note, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. But when we're back, we have some kind of more expanded universe and some fun off-topic questions. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, folks. Let's now get into some expanded universe questions. And as always, later in the episode and on a fun off-topic question. Indeed. So to begin, first up, we have a Discord message from Spud Potato. Spud, or Mr. Potato, writes, <laughs> I know y'all make a lot of better than fears the mind killer get that tattooed instead jokes. What Dune quotes do you think would make the best tattoo? Okay. Good Lord, I feel called out. We've been called out. <laughs> Fucking prove it. <laughs> Give us better alternative. I hope you're not in the tattooer's chair right now waiting right. for this episode to come out. You're like, oh man, they are taking a while respond to this email. Right. <laughs> and okay listen everyone to be clear fear is the mind killer uh-huh starting with the word fear ending with the word killer fine you know what i've seen some of those tattoos they yeah. look fine yeah they're good mm -hmm. i think the overall quote is fine probably top 20 of all of the quotes in dune you know i wouldn't say it's top 10 i think there are like easily 10 better quotes than fear is the mind killer mm -hmm. but it's a fine quote and ultimately if that helps you if you really like that i'm 100% in favor of fear is the mind killer tattoos. Totally. That being said, I was curious. I Googled fear is the mind killer tattoo. Okay. Okay. There are people with the whole fucking quote. What? Tattooed. A, a paragraph? Like there's a guy. I almost think this can't be real. <laughs> it says the full, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings it all. No. I will face my fear. I will no. permit it to pass. And when it has gone, I will turn it to inner eye to see its path. Fear is gone. Only nothing. And then it says, only I will, new line, remain. And I'm like, Oh, Ew. fuck me. When, when you have that leftover word at the, at the end of a paragraph. Yeah. My OCD triggered. 
oh, it's terrible. And there's punctuation. If there's punctuation in your tattoo, you fucked up. You fucked up. It's so long. Forearm. Someone has it on their forearm. Someone has it on, looks like their calf. Who's reading that? Okay. It's also not good font. It's like comic sans <laughs> on most of these. It's terrible. <laughs> if you're going to get a papyrus... I mean, there's. I've seen some cool ones where it's like Fear is a Mind Killer and there's like a person on a dune. Like that's a... That's cool. That's beautiful. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's great. But no shade. Let's talk about what we think would be our like best dune tattoos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the perspective of quotes. And I want to kick it to you, Abu. Okay. What would be, if it, again, not allowed to say Fear is a Mind Killer. I know you're tempted. Mm. I know you're mm. awfully tempted. I was thinking whole paragraph. <laughs> I was thinking whole paragraph. Right in the neck. <laughs> Starts at the jawline, ends at the navel. Rather than that, yeah, if you're doing the full, just get the whole book tattooed. Why right, not? right. Don't be a pansy. Okay, at that, yeah, at that point, you're just half measures. <laughs> Commit to the bit. Okay, enough attacking people coward. with fears of mind killer tattoos. <laughs> Let's talk about our potential yeah, tattoos. What's, what's, what's yours, Abu? What would you do? So mine is actually a quote from a later book. So I will be talking about this quote completely out of context to avoid any potential spoilers. It is sort of a vague enough quote that you couldn't possibly connect it to anything. Snape kills Gandalf. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> or wait, what did you say? You said Dumbledore kills Snape. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's not even the right spoiler. <laughs> yeah. It just only incorrect spoilers on this show. <laughs> so I, I agree that if your tattoo needs punctuation, you fucked up. So the full quote is actually two sentences. It's long. It's, quote, Show me a completely smooth operation and I'll show you someone who's covering mistakes. Real boats rock. End quote. Fuck, that goes so hard. That goes what so hard. Quote. I love that. <laughs> I would kill the first sentence, though. That's long. It's wordy. Right. And I would get a tattoo of just real boats rock. Yeah. Because I think that still encapsulates the idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love this idea because I am someone who is constantly trying to, quote unquote, optimize my life. <laughs> Yeah. And that is a futile effort. And I ultimately always, always end up frustrated when things aren't going smoothly. Right. Or perhaps they start smoothly and eventually taper off because that's just fucking life. Right. Right. And for me, this quote is a really important message. Yeah. It's a reminder to embrace the chaos and the uncertainty and the surprises of life. It's a reminder that perfect or optimized is an impossible goal. Right. And that idea doesn't just apply to life. It applies to so many aspects of life. Your health, your career, finding love, achieving happiness. None of those things is a linear path and none of those things will always be headed in one direction or the other. None of those things can be optimized to always be quote unquote getting better or changing or whatever. Life is messy and this quote is a reminder that anyone pretending otherwise that their life isn't messy, that their boat isn't rocking, yeah, is full of shit. <laughs> and that is so important a lesson for me because I'm obsessed. Yeah. I go down these like TikTok holes, these YouTube holes where I'm just like watching these fucking like fitness influencers trying to teach me how to run better. And then I'm obsessed with my like running cadence and my form and yeah. I'm overthinking my run and just go out there, put on some fucking headphones Listen to God Emperor of Dune on audiobook and run, Abu. That's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And instead, I'm like obsessing over my fucking like step count and how many steps I'm hitting every minute, blah, blah, blah. Like that sort of optimization is hilariously unachievable. Mm. And real boats do rock. 
And anyone who pretends that their boat has never rocked is full of shit and trying to sell you something, probably. What a good also message in the age of like everyone curates a sort of performance of personality. Yeah. On social media where it's like, what am I going to share? You know, I had like a thing happened in my life like a couple weeks ago. It was really heavy. Yeah. And I I found myself caught between do I what do I say that's honest for the sake of communicating with other people? What do I say that's like performative? What do I say that's like desiring a certain connection back with people? Like if I say it a certain way, people will respond to me and that's little like hits of dopamine. Right. And that's not inherently a bad thing. Right. But good Lord, what does that reflect on me? Why am I so careful with my online persona? All of those things. Am I the one covering up mistakes in my operation? And I think for a lot of us in social media, the answer is yeah. Of course. Putting our character flaws out there as a post on Instagram is like a bold choice. And then I'm like, oh, you're just virtue signaling. (laughs) You're just like, look, I'm imperfect. He said perfectly. (laughs) The perfect poem. As Oscar Wilde once wrote, (laughs) I am (laughs) just came to mind this quote from the great Oscar Wilde. It's like, good Lord, this guy's so fucking full of himself. Yeah. So it is. It's such a good reminder. I was also thinking it'd be really funny for the misinterpretations because the full quote is brilliant, but you're like real boats rock. And I'm like, is this a boat maker gatekeeping boat making? Oh, shit. (laughs) I'm going to gatekeep boats. Mm. (laughs) That's an excellent point. There is a way for this tattoo to backfire on me where people think I'm really into boats or some shit. He's a mariner. In fact, I don't like the ocean and I don't want to be out on a boat ever. So like, yeah, there's a way this could backfire on me, but. You know, someone asks me about it, and then I go into a 45-minute podcast episode on Dude. So it's a great conversation starter. We'll record that as like a patron bonus, just like a long explanation of this idea, and then you just link them that MP3. Right, right. There's a QR code just underneath it. We'll both rock in the QR And then they scan the QR code and tell yeah, them all about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I'm curious about you. You don't like Fear is the Mind Killer no. as a tattoo. What would you get instead? Listen, there are so many good quotes in Dude. Right. And... You chose a very, very good one. It's hard to beat that. And there are a bunch of quotes that I just hold close to heart, you know, that I really, that I think are beautiful. But for a tattoo, I think brevity, I think shortness, I think we agree. Agreed. Agreed. Like having a short message or maybe even a single word Hell yeah. is strong and is aesthetic. I have seen really cool tattoos that like have double paragraphs that like graphically line up cool with other elements. Like I've seen that kind of thing. So I'm willing to be proven wrong by tattoo artists out there but i'm very in the like one word camp when it comes to tattoos and so i think i would go with omtal short and sweet one word one word i love it now this is partially because i think omtal is just like a very important theme in dune you know we talked with elaine from nerd cookies about like how Amtal rule may be the like central most theme in all of dune yeah because this idea of testing things to their breaking point to understand their true nature and the idea that even the possibility of breaking is a necessary part of learning. And that is adversity and that is being challenged and that is growth through being challenged and understanding through being challenged. And all of that is juxtaposed against stagnation. Amtal is not a part of stagnation, right? Right. So I think not only is it very central to Dune and everything that Dune means to me, I go, okay, yeah, Amtal is a good summation of some of the core themes that resonate with me. But also, as you said, life is messy. And I think that like as I go into the world, 
one of the things that I want tattoos to do for me, I only have one, um, but what I want tattoos to do for me is remind me to live life in a way that makes me happier and makes me feel more right. fulfilled. Right. And something like Real Boats Rock or Amtal that says, hey, Leo, you're going to go into the world and like the fucking guy from Memento, you wake up every morning and you see these <laughs> tattoos. Does that set you up for success in the day? Yeah. And if I see a tattoo that says Real Boats Rock or I see a tattoo that says Amtal, I say, okay, if I go into the world today and I'm challenged and I come up against adversity and I come, that will help me better understand myself and let me be grateful for those chances to be challenged and to find my breaking point in certain circumstances. And it's okay. Yeah. And that's part of the experience of living. Yeah. So I think that 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 is a like healthy thing for me to remember. And so after thinking about it, I was like, I think Amtal might be beautiful. Uh, my choice. It was either that or just beef swelling. <laughs> either that or beef swelling. Yeah. Just beef swelling, yeah. right? Yeah. Right on the forearm. Just a big old beef swelling huge. tattoo. Huge. Yeah. Huge font papyrus font set. <laughs> An adult beef swelling would be the longer yeah. one if you wanted a longer, like a wraparound tattoo. But like beef swelling is. What what does Leo with a, with amnesia think when he wakes up and sees <laughs> beef swelling on his forearm? I go, hey, that's a that's a good dream I just had. <laughs> I go, I could see a life with that. He makes good coffee. Beef swelling. Yeah. <laughs> two two great options. I love it. But I go, I, I should go into life fully erect. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you're not fully yeah. aroused by whatever you're doing in life, you're fucking up. You're fucking up. That's the lesson. <laughs> the lesson I learned on Gamont. Beef swelling. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I, I'm tall. I, I'm a, I do love like a one-worder yeah. tattoo, you know? I, I think that's classy, and I think it's uh, the message behind it is great, too. And, of course, it's such a central theme in Dune. I also, I started physical therapy this week for my ankle because it's still fucked mm -hmm. up from back in April. Mm -hmm. And, uh... And I was talking to a coworker about it, and they were like, you could get Amtal tattooed on the ankle that is like currently challenging. Oh. So I'm thinking about it. I might end right. up with an Amtal tattoo at some point. Oh. Thanks to fucking Spud Potato, Dr. Spud Potato, Potato out here. Doctor. With your, with your good ass question. <laughs> now yeah, that I've done all this question. thinking about it. Yeah, well, we might have, to, might have to do that. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I'd love to hear what other folks think as well oh oh yes email yeah. us email us the dune tattoo you'd get or the dune tattoo that you have even if it is fear the mind fear is the mind killer yeah how much do we you regret it we won't be <laughs> <laughs> jesus just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah so uh send us your tattoos folks we'd love to see them and uh send us your ideas for tattoos as well indeed something maybe we as the gam jabari community together can all get together all get and matching go get tattoos. tattoos. We have a meetup channel on Discord. We do a little meetup in New York, go to a little Brooklyn tattoo shop. Yeah. If we get this tattoo 25 times, will you give us a discount? <laughs> I also, right. at some point, will be getting a Gomjamar tattoo. I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah. But I'm open to people's suggestions. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking the date that you texted me about this podcast. Oh. Uh, as a BG date. Before Guild, yeah. Yeah. So like, calculating it out to be in dunes year. oh right and then people right, will do right. that with like it'll be you know really simplistic really fine just like a series of numbers and like that before guild date of yeah. whatever, february oh, 9th or whatever it was 2020 yeah. 
2020. And, then, oh my and I calculate, I calculated it at some point. So I have that number somewhere. That would be fun. That could be a good, well, we'll see again. Yeah. Let us know what you think. And, uh, and maybe we'll end up with a lot of tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> if you're really convincing, I'll be fully a full sleeve of your ideas. Right. Right. Well, up next, we have a message, a discord message from Adam H. Adam asks, quote, would you rather take the spice and extend your life? presumably to like 300 years or become a gola and reawaken in a healthy body but knowing you're a gola living three 100 year lifetimes end quote Ooh. so a classic would you rather yeah live one uninterrupted 300 year chunk with spice or and you're like getting older or as a gola three times covering the same amount of time i will also address a quick I don't know if you meant this, Adam, but the implication that you're reawakening in a healthy body, the idea of spice extending your lifespan is not that you are getting older indefinitely until you're like a 300-year-old Yoda. It is preventing the aging process. And so someone who is in their 80s will look like they're in their 30s or their 40s, to be clear. Right, right. Because they'll, they'll have the healthy body of, of a 30, 40-year-old. Right. It, the aging process is actually slower. So the tail end, like the last, I don't know, 60 years, you might be more geriatric. But just to be clear, it's not like you're a 90-year-old with a 90-year-old body. Right. With all the creaks and pains and yeah. You're like, I was in a walker for 200 years. <laughs> it <sucks. laughs> right, right, right. It's fucking blows. <laughs> it yeah. fucking blows. So that's the question. And, right. and, and Abu, I want to throw it to you. Okay. What, what do you think? <laughs> You know, I, I think for me, this one's a pretty easy, oh, yeah? actually. I think I would go Gola. Because mm. when I think about it, extending my life with Spice, I have so many follow-up questions for Adam, of course. Sure. But my assumption is that I'm the only one taking the Spice. Sure. So if I'm extending my life for 300 years, taking Spice, no matter how healthy I may be, I may retain my 30-year-old body for the next 300 years. I still have to watch my friends and family slowly succumb to age and death around me yeah, as I'm thriving in my 30-year-old body <laughs> yeah. until the year 2400. I don't necessarily know that I want to do that because physically I may be healthy, but like emotionally, mentally, I'm going to watch everyone I love slowly fade away and die. Mm. And that is going to probably fuck me up in ways. I would rather go the Gola route mm. and live three 100-year lifespans where I either die naturally at the end or have some sort of death take place. Train track-related accident with your <laughs> podcast host. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I, I think at least in that instance, in some way, I am sort of like resetting the clock on life. And sure. when I come back as a Gola, I don't necessarily have to watch my friends and family die. Right. Uh, there's some questions of timeline here too, right? Like how many years go by in between my resurrections and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I think I would go the Gola route just because of the sort of cleaner nature of the like live, reset, die, live, reset, die. Yeah. And there would be a bit of separation. Think of Duncan meeting his not child and his not wife in the previous book club we talked about. That he could acknowledge is not my life anymore. Sure. Yeah. That was a previous Duncan's life. There's still some emotional messiness there that has to be processed, but I think it's easier 
to think of it as like a clean start and a clean end than a continuous life that you continue to live. Yeah. And and watch like everyone you care about around you die. Also, on a more like selfish front, I'm just super curious what the world looks like in the next three, four hundred, five hundred years. Yeah. So it would just be cool to like come back as a Gola and maybe like 50 years have gone by in between resurrections or something Mm -hmm. and just come back and be like, oh my God, virtual reality is dope now. They figured it (laughs) out. Yeah, yeah. And it would just be cool to see the advancements in technology and society and humanity over the span of three Gola lifetimes versus the span of one extended lifetime, in my opinion. Yeah, although, again, I think the question, because if it were just spice extended and you live to 170, it's an obvious choice. Do you want to live more or less, right? Right. So I think to make it less obvious, the expectation is the reason it's three Gola lifetimes is because maybe the maximum geriatric extension is about 300 years. So like, I think you would see that technology either way. Mm, good point. Yeah. But regardless, I mean, again, you made yeah, a lot yeah, of really yeah. good points. I mean, there's some clarifications there too. It's for, like, for does sure. everyone, everyone have spice now? Cause like then everyone gets to live longer and you don't have to. Yeah. And, and then that makes my point moot about right. watching your friends and family die around you. Uh, yeah. But also the possibility of non contiguous, I think that's the word, like non back to back Gola resurrections would also very much change the question. Because if we're talking like 100 year lifetime and then exactly. 700 years from now, 100 year lifetime and then another like 200 years later, exactly, like, yeah. that would be a very different experience than you have kids and grandkids and then you're a child or you're like a young man hanging out with your grandkids. It's like true, true. That that would that totally mucks it up as well. Yeah. I mean, even considering like the first Duncan Gola who came back in Messiah, there's a 12 year gap because yeah. Paul has been ruling and then he comes back. So there's, we can estimate there's at least like a decade gap or so before he's resurrected and reborn and then his memories are re-triggered again. So right. yeah, who knows? There, there's a lot of questions here that I have for Adam, um, but I still think I would probably lean Gola rather than gotcha. Spice. Okay. Yeah. What about you? Which way do you lean? I am. Okay. And again, we've talked about how like many variables affect all of this. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I think with the variables I had in mind, I am also team Gola. Mm, okay. But for me, it was a, a pretty close call. Yeah. So to be clear, I think one of the downsides to being a Gola is that you guaranteed are dying multiple times, which who knows how fucking awful and traumatizing that is. Mm, yeah, that's true. You remember your death moment. Yikes. Coming back from that, it's like, ooh, do, mm, do I want that? And also reawakening as a Gola takes trauma takes a crazy fucking trauma. The last thing in the world you would ever do, mm. you are being forced to do it. So true. Or to to very nearly do it. And that's what will break your psyche into awakening. Yeah. And like, what is that even going to be? I don't fucking uh, know. That would be terrible. Getting a fear is the mind killer tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> they're there with the tattoo gun and they're like, mm. and it's like, no. oh my God, I remember. I remember. They're like, do you really? And I'm like, no, I just don't want the tattoo. <laughs> yeah oh my god the worst the worst possibility admitting it's an okay quote um yes so that sounds off it does like those two elements first of all remembering your death and second of all the trauma necessary to reawaken each time they sound terrible now the spice choice avoids that trauma and affords a kind of continuity of experience right like we know yeah i know what it's like to turn 33 because i did it 
and I know what it was like to be 20. And now this continuous experience is something that we've already lived. Right. So that's familiar. And in that way, it would be more comfortable and more alike what we already experience. Yeah. So that ain't bad. I'm not complaining about my experience. I'm like, I'm not like, oh, I wish there was a five year gap <laughs> between my 20s and 30s. Yeah. No, it's fine. That's how time works. I'm, I'm good with that. But I am Team Gola, I think, because there's additional wisdom gained, probably, by the process of going through the aging process multiple times. Like, you know, you turn 40, you turn 50, and like things change for you. And I talk to my friends who are, you know, and some, I talk to my parents about this a lot. And yeah. like, as you get older, there are ways of aging gracefully and ways of not. And I, it's like, oh, I get to do it better each time. Like, that's cool. Yeah, there's almost like a Groundhog Day aspect to redoing your life over and over. Yeah. And learning from the last time. Totally agreed. And I'm not actually bothered as much by the the whole like friends and family. <laughs> and not because I don't love and cherish people. I just think naturally when you talk to people who are in their 80s, they're like, oh, my friend died last week. And you go, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And they go, it's OK. They had a long, beautiful life. Yeah. Our relationship to death changes as we get older. Mm. And I think that also would happen. I just think inevitably. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we are two young people going, oh my God, everyone I've ever met, I get to watch them die as I'm still a healthy 30 year old. That's torturous. But I also think that after 80 years or 90 years of life and you see people live full fulfilled lives and you see that arc up and down mm. and then you see the difficulties of being a 90 year old and you see dementia, you see Alzheimer's, you see cancer you see all these things and you go you know what no that was a really good ending to a really beautiful life yeah or, tragedies happen but tragedies happen at every age of, of every person so like that's you can't dodge that even if you're a goal right right so in general i think that isn't as much a piece of the puzzle for me yeah no th that's beautiful and profound thanks <laughs> glad i said it on a podcast and <laughs> I'm, not drunkenly i'm gonna get to the transcription of what you just said <laughs> in its entirety tattooed actually Right down my neck. Neck to navel, baby. <laughs> neck to navel. But I, I also think something that made the choice for me, choosing Gola, is that 300 years is a long time. And if I treat it as 300 continuous years, my fear is that I would fall into habits or I would fall into patterns that would yield diminishing returns mm. in my enjoyment of life. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I would fall into doing things a certain way, even speaking the same language each time. Yeah, like, yeah. What would it be like to be born and raised multilinguistic, right? From an early age, I could make that call or I could maybe have that experience from an early age. I could commit to being a musician or I could commit to some other fucking life choice if I were a Gola coming back and having that kind of clean slate. Right. Like having the reset period, even if it were back to back, would give me a chance to say, okay, we had momentum before in a career and friends and a life and a partner and all these things, but this is a new time. Yeah. So let's make new choices. And I think that's ultimately what decided it for me. Cause yeah. I am sort of obsessed with, I want to have these different experiences and uh, yeah, it's kind of like playing a game. You, you know, you play a, a, a fantasy video game and if I play the first time, I always play the class I like, which is like a sword fighter guy. Right. But maybe the second time I play, I go, oh, I want to try out being an archer this time. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how I'm thinking about right. Gola. It's, it's like Gola. your second and third playthrough of life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it makes breaking up with your partner real easy. <laughs> Babe, that was the old me. <laughs> this is the new me. 
oh my god the fucking trauma if you got like hit by a bus and then gola used delivered and you're like hey i'm back roller coaster of emotions i get it i get it gonna give you another dip in the roller coaster though because we're gonna break up because this is take two for me you're kind of a take one person right you know right. you were my first playthrough you were my first playthrough. I get that you're like super attached to me. Or whatever. That's cute. <laughs> I'm right back from trauma land. Right. So I'm going to actually go out and I'm going to go to Fiji. Right. So right. Right. Bye. Sorry, Penny. <laughs> sorry, Leia. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Stardew. Sorry, Stardew. Stardew waifus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, again, to your point, Golas can have non-continue. Like you could have like a 10 year gap or 20 year gap. And if you're telling me that I'm going to live 300 years, but I'm going to see more of human history. Yeah. Fucking yeah, sign I get to me see, up! Like, the next thousand years. Me. Oh, oh yes, yeah. totally. I want to see the Vision Pro that's fucking affordable. <laughs> Hell yeah! In a thousand years, the one that's only five hundred dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna take them <laughs> a thousand years to get that price down. <laughs> Inflation. Anyway, I think it's a phenomenal question, and I do. Yeah. I support either choice. I think if you out there in listener land are thinking about this and you're like spice all the way, baby. Hell yeah! Yeah, I, I get it. I'm of right course. there with you. There's something to be said for maintaining your peak 30-year-old body for the rest of your life, you know, and Spice lets you do that. For so. real. And again, I, I'm not ang- like I could continue this podcast for another seven years. <laughs> there is there is something about like, and although you get the accrued experience and memories of the goals in the future, like we see Duncan Idaho is still like a temperamental kind of shitty person despite having these lots and lots and lots of memories. Yeah. We're seeing someone in his fucking third lifetime and he's still a misogynistic asshole. <laughs> so like, maybe that's an argument against school. I'm not going to talk myself out of it. Yeah. yeah Good yeah, question. Great question. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> uh, always fun to talk about these what ifs and these uh, would you rathers. You give me two hours, I'll change my mind two more times. Indeed, indeed. Okay, well, let's wrap up today's mailbag on an off-topic question as we like to do. Indeed. And today's off-topic question is from Jamie Nathan. Jamie writes via email, quote, I am reading Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke right now, and I love it. Mm. I got the book as a gift because I loved the covers from the Folio Society and heard a lot about Clarke. Have you ever bought a book just because of its pretty cover? Oh, dope. Yeah. Oh, fun question. Fun question. Yeah. For me, the answer is very clear. It's a resounding yes. Nice. Cool. I've sort of talked about this on the podcast before in a previous mailbag, but I have spent a huge part of my childhood in libraries. Libraries are like my happy place. And as a kid, I would just wander and pick up any book on the shelf that had a cool cover or that had a dragon on it. And I've kind of mentioned it before as well, but I am still to this day pretty sad and nostalgic for those times of my childhood where there were no online book reviews. There was no book talk. There was no you know, NPRs recommended, whatever. Right, right. My parents would just take me to the library. I would wander the halls of thousands of books and then randomly find something that looked pretty or that looked interesting or had a dragon on it. And I would find a gem and I would find (laughs) books that I would then forge a lifelong bond with. That's what happened with series like Aragon, literal dragons on the cover. Yeah. Uh, That's what happened with series like the Pendragon novels. (laughs) <laughs> yeah pen dragon sold <laughs> right there's a theme right there's a theme here yeah, yeah. and you know that many of my all-time favorite series the bartholomew series about the genie just came because i saw a 
cool looking cover at the library as a kid and I picked it up and I read it Mm. and I knew nothing about it. No reviews, no book talk, no recommendation from a friend or anything. And I'm I'm right. kind of nostalgic for those times because now I can't go to the library without looking through 500 recommended lists first and narrowing it down yeah, to like yeah. the 10 I want to read now. But alas, that's the world we live in. Uh, so my answer is yes. Covers have played a big role in my life with books. I was going to say also because like as we get older, time feels so much more precious. Right. I don't want to spend a week reading a random shitty book. <laughs> so and true. if I'm like reading the first half of the book going, this isn't for me, I just put it down. And I feel like when I was a kid, I could be like, no, well, I'm going to, it'll check another book off the list. It's fine. Like, whatever. And then I would like spend three days playing Smash Bros. Like, (laughs) the idea of like wasting an afternoon that way is like a crime in my life now. Yes. Let alone something. So I think that's, that's another piece, perhaps of the nostalgia there. I will point out you fucking missed the question he asked did you buy a book and you're like oh i lent plenty i borrowed so many but yeah no stakes dude put down your hard-earned physical representation of debt otherwise it's meaningless because i'm a capitalist i'm not a capitalism (laughs) oh you're a a buddhist capitalist (laughs) got it got it a zen capitalist humanist nihilist (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, you know i did ignore that word by yeah uh, but the answer is still yes yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in my adult life sure i've so. definitely like right, right behind me actually there is a uh on the cam <laughs> on the camera here well there's dune there's a whole shelf of dune but yeah. there's a foundation trilogy book isaac asimov foundation oh, yeah. hardcover book which i didn't need to buy but the cover is so beautiful and mm, yeah. it, like so aesthetic and so like isaac asimov 80s sci-fi yeah, and I was like, yeah, fuck, yeah. I don't need to own this, but I am going to buy it now. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's nice. What about you? Do covers sway you when you look at books? Oh, yeah, totally. Same thing with wine bottles, too. If it's yeah. a good label, oh, I'll buy it. Yeah. I'm like, I don't even normally like red wine, but I'll drink it. <laughs> look at that picture. Yeah, no. And it can be hard in the same way that even in Jamie's question, Jamie admitted that like had heard about Clark already. So did you really only buy that because of the cover? Yeah, Jamie. No. Yeah. Jamie, you fucking hypocrite. (laughs) So no, it it is hard for me to claim that it was ever only exactly the cover. But in 2015, I actually bought, uh, I think the name is pronounced Yolan Fildes, which is a, uh, an author. I bought the novel, the street of the fishing cat. So I was like, just in a used bookstore. I'd worked, uh, worked a shift at Apple. And there was a used kind of family-owned bookstore in the neighborhood. So I like went there and I would just like look around. And I saw this book and it was chunky and big and just had this like really fun, nostalgic look to it. Okay. That And then the name is so whimsical. So like the title really influenced me as well. Um, so I ended up buying this and I didn't get past page 58. <laughs> like it was good, but I, it wasn't really my vibe at the time. Yeah. I might re- try rereading it now. Yeah. But and it's not even that crazy pretty of a picture. Now, again, you can look it up. It's The Street of the Fishing Cat by Yolan Fildes. And uh, that's J-O-L-A-N-F-O-L-D-E-S. And there's a an accent on the A and an umlaut on the O uh, of Fildes. Um, and I have it here for video people. Yeah. Oh. Right? Oh, gosh. It looks like a book that will bring me into a fantasy world yes. where I have to meet the, the cat who's fishing <laughs> and we're going to go on an adventure together. Yeah. Like it looks kind of mad and it's like old weathered pages. Yeah. It smelled really good. Yeah. It was 
$4.50. Love that price. <laughs> and it did, it has like on the cover that it won an award and it's a novel. So again, yeah. I very much yeah, I can got still see that. your bookmark on page 58 there actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I know how far I got. <laughs> so yes, that that is one answer that I have for you. And then the second answer is more, way more recent. I'm embarrassed to say this was not a physical purchase. This was a Kindle purchase because mm -hmm. uh, I, I, you know, whatever. Because you love capitalism and Jeff Bezos. Because I love capital. I just love spending money <laughs> for billionaires. I love putting money, my hard-earned cash yeah. in the pockets of billionaires, yeah. exchanging my hard-earned money for their <laughs> continued immortality <laughs> as they drink the blood of babies. <laughs> Uh, so I was actually going to recommend for everybody a book that I chose almost exclusively. Like I heard, okay, that it was spooky. I don't really read spooky books. Mm -hmm. That it was a little bit eldritch, okay, a little bit like Ooh. Lovecraftian. Yeah, and I was like, okay, sure, whatever. But uh, you know, again, I hear about thousands of books on TikTok and stuff like that. And then I saw the cover, and then I saw the cover, oh, and wow. it is fucking unbelievably beautiful. It's called The Fisherman. A novel by John Lang Lang Langan. By John Langan. I heard you typing. Did you find it? Yeah. I've seen a couple different versions. Is it this one with the cloudy? Cloudy, oh, painterly, with the crashing, okay, waves, crashing waves in the shore. Oh, wow. Yeah. I see. And then there's people tugging like a boat off the shore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the one. I saw that. I was like, this is... A beautiful painting like I, if i saw this in the the national gallery of art i'd be like yeah obviously because it's gorgeous it's just great it's so aesthetic and uh wow, and then I you read it. the first chapter and it's fucking crazy it's it's a it's a very so it's actually a spectacular book i highly recommend it if you like horror if you like lovecraftian stuff yeah check it out wow but that is that is absolutely a book that i like was like very much just gonna forget about and then i saw the cover and i was like oh, bye 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 right. bye immediately right. bye <laughs> Fast, fast oh, by. Fun, fun. I'll have to add that to my list. Pretty good. I'd lend it to you, but fucking Kindle sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a fun question. Thank you, Jamie, so much for letting Absolutely. us geek out about books for a little bit here at the end of the episode. But alas, Leo, yeah. we are at the end. We are. All True. good things must end. Sure. And this mailbag is a good thing that is ending. So... <laughs> wait let me figure out a different fucking nailed it yeah <laughs> no that was perfect let's let's do it <laughs> let's wrap up so before we let you go we want to remind you of a couple of great ways to support this show and to keep in touch with us and to email us and to send us pictures of your tattoos oh my gosh i just thought of the best way oh tell me please do i think it might be to become a patron hello at patreon.com slash the name of our podcast patreon.com slash bar yeah what a way to support us you get cool benefits for becoming a patron ad free episodes weekly blooper clips we're going to record one after this episode in fact you'll have already seen it if you're a patron mm. and an invite to our exclusive discord server where you can just ask us questions and we'll answer them and we talk about lore all the fucking time yeah. if you're like hey this episode's great being in the discord is like this episode 24 7 hell yes so if you're a patron and you haven't joined the Discord, please join us. More the merrier. And if you have not yet become a patron, please consider becoming a patron if you're in a financial place to be uh, supportive in that way. It means the world. It makes what we do possible. It truly does. 
Now, another great way to support us is to get yourself some Dune-themed merch mm. from our store at gomchabartshop.com. We love capitalism. You love capitalism. <laughs> Let's all capitalism together, folks. No truer way to show your support of something than buying things. Hell yeah. That is the truest expression of love. Indeed. <laughs> we've got art. We've got apparel. We've got mugs, a tote bag, and so much more. I recently was at a friend's house and opened his cupboard and found our Gamjabar tarot card beer mug glass thing that we have on there. I forgot that I made that. Yeah. Oh my I God, also I forgot it. that I, that you made I need, that. I need to get one of those. Jesus. Yeah. I opened his That's cupboard, pulled it out and I was like, what the fuck? Gamjabar? This is ours. I literally forgot that existed. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I should order one right now. <laughs> Indeed. And so should you, dear listener, gamjabarshop.com. Oh my God. It looks so good. I know. Fuck. Wait, it looks good in real life, too. Own... Oh, my God. Does it? Yeah. Oh, shit. It prints well on the glass. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was wearing the Chip and Shatter shirt oh, earlier. My favorite. Such a good design. Oh, so crushed good. it. Thank you. Well, finally, we love to hear from you. So email us, gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. I'll say that not weirdly. Gomjabarpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts. Send us your tattoo suggestions. Send us your existing tattoos. Send us what you, if you want to be a Gola or something. I don't know. Yeah. Answer some of the questions yourself. We love to hear yeah, from you. Yeah, stop asking us. Answer them yourself. God damn it. <laughs> but yes, send us your thoughts. Send us your questions, your feedback, any, any, anything you want to say. Send it to us. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. I am glad to hear that you want to be a Gola because it makes me feel a lot less weird about all this genetic material of yours I've been collecting over the last two years. Yeah, that makes me feel less weird about the genetic material I've been shipping to your home for the last few years <laughs> as well. Have you been adding that to the collection? I have. I'm surprised you agreed so quickly. I was like, <laughs> hey, can you mail me some genetic? And you're like, yeah, a box is on its way already. I was like, what? Really? Really? Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I haven't opened the boxes though, and they kind of they are starting to smell. Yeah. So I'm wondering what you put in them. Mm. I shouldn't say. <laughs> but it'll be a surprise. Abu, we marked the episodes as explicit. It's okay. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. Well, I hope my pubes are enough to uh <laughs> re- re- resuscitate me. Beef swallowing. <laughs> Beef swallowing. Beef swallowing, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gomjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.